Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, you guys? Sean Rossat, Managing Editor, FightfulMMA.com. That's where you go to get all of your MMA news. But hey, if you like boxing and wrestling too, Fightful.com is the place to go. We have FightfulBoxing.com, FightfulWrestling.com. You can get it all or you can get it individually. We are live right now on the Fightful MMA and Boxing channel. We started it a while back and uh, slowly growing, slowly growing. We had Carlos Toro do the uh, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury podcast live. Much of our content will be moving over here for monetization purposes. Some of it stays up on the uh, Pro Wrestling channel for now. Once we hit 1,000 subscribers, I would like to move it all here. But hey, hit us with a subscribe. Leave us a thumbs up. Most importantly, let people know that you're watching this show. This is a newer channel, but we're we're making it grow and, and it's happening quickly. James Lynch on assignment today is actually in Toronto for UFC 231 that we will be talking about. But we're talking to another guy who's in Toronto right now for different reasons. You know, living life, existing as a human being. Showdown Joe Ferraro. And boy, are we going to get his expertise tonight. Joe, uh, what's going on, man? Yeah, living life, existing, right? Yes, yeah. uh, everything is going great. Having a good time. Uh, running around uh, since this morning at about 8.30 a.m. Finally got back here. Thought I was going to miss the podcast, but I'm like, uh, no, guys, I, I have to cut this meeting short. Uh, I got to be live in the air, so got to go. Well, I mean, to be fair, I missed the podcast in Toronto last week because of Air Canada. So, mm. I mean, I was prevented from getting on a plane Wednesday as I'm at the front desk. And they're like, no, you're too late. You're, you know how you checked in online? It didn't go through. No, so. I- didn't get to go to Toronto, but that's going to happen soon enough. I'll be chatting it up with Joe eventually. But hey, I got to go see those Raptors play. Mother yeah, doing pretty God. Good. Doing pretty Mother good. Mother God, man. But we've got so much to talk about. There were four Bellator and UFC events this weekend. Not only that, KSW had a slapper. Uh, Narkin seems like he's their new guy. You have Mama Kaladov, who is a guy forever that people are like, why isn't he in the UFC? Why isn't he in the UFC? Well, now he's 38. We start to see that that downturn. Uh, we have results up on on uh, FightfulMMA.com. But it looks like KSW may have a new face of their promotion, Joe. Yeah, well, it's pretty impressive. Right? I mean, KSW is one of those promotions that, you know, we've kind of been looking at, or at least I've been looking at with kind of arm's length, but paying attention to what's happening. They've got their, uh, for the most part, they've got their stuff together. It, it's pretty impressive what they can do out there. Also, they they are going out of their way to make themselves known in the States too. I am all the time getting press releases from them all the time, getting information from them. They are doing, they are doing their best to make it easy from a media perspective. That's something I always, always say, Joe, like, Hey, if you want your, your stuff out there, give us press releases, give us quotes. We'll run them. That That's just the way it works. And a lot of these companies have trouble getting in front of, of audiences. Uh, one of those companies has been one championship, but they're, I get the feeling they might not have as much trouble as they did, oh, say, two months ago, Joe, because yeah. add Sage Northcutt to the list. Sage Northcutt, who Ariel Hawani says um, the UFC wanted to keep, despite what Dana White said. He said they, they let him go. But apparently one championship made Sage Northcutt an offer that UFC not couldn't match, wouldn't match. That's the important thing. Wouldn't match. Maybe because of the precedent it would set. But Sage Northcutt joins Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, Eddie Alvarez on that one roster. This is a far cry from me saying that I got to pretend to care about them every few months. This is me looking and saying, wow, they're going to have a show. Maybe they might have six shows a year that I pay attention to now. 
Yeah, depending on who's the um, who's competing, but of course, it's one of those things where I think the landscape is slightly changing. We'll see what's going to happen with the ESPN deal in 2019, but I'm, I'm getting a sense that there's different sort of things that are changing, especially with the flyweight division. And, and kudos to Joseph Benavides, who we'll talk about uh, in a moment for his post-fight interview. Um, but the landscape is slightly changing. People are starting to move around, and then in doing so, um, it, it's something that you and I have discussed at length. You know, the the roster for the UFC, in my opinion, should get slashed a little bit, which will then afford opportunities for other um, fighters to get work elsewhere, and it'll raise the the level of other promotions in hopes that they can pay these fighters what they're worth. Is one thing, um, but you know, the, 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 I think the landscape in MMA in terms of rosters and fighters and where they're going to be uh, over the next uh, you know three to six months is is, is going to be interesting to see. Yeah, I, I like the signing of Sage Northcutt. He is a young fighter with a lot of upside and potential. I saw this moronic article. I can't remember who posted it. It said, the downfall of Sage Northcutt is something to behold. And I'm thinking, hold up, playboy. 22 years old, 6-2 and two in the UFC after jumping back and forth between weight divisions. Won his last three fights, getting the biggest contract of his life already when he was already making well above six figures to, to win a fight in the UFC. You know, I'm not opposed to MMA getting covered by the mainstream, but man, I don't know how many people I've had to look at and see and say, no, it's, it's, I mean, there are times I don't get it, but man, these people really don't get it, Joe. Yeah, it's, it is one of those things where, you know, the way, the way the landscape, of course, is, is when it comes to mainstream viewers, mainstream media, uh, those w- within the bubble, it's, it's, yeah. I say it all the time, and, and sometimes I, I'm assuming that you get tired of hearing me say it, but I don't lose sleep over half of the stuff that I read uh, online. I, I, I don't really read that much anymore, but I don't lose sleep over any of the stuff that I see, uh, read, uh, even with some of the media members, with some of the articles that they post and some of the thoughts that they have and opinions and you know from the, from the UFC rankings and whatnot, just the stuff in general. People don't understand it. People don't get it, and they're, just, they're, they're all wound up, and they're too tight, Sean. They all just criticizing and ripping apart anything and everything. And I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about Yves Levine in a bit as well, but well, people got to relax, man. Well, let's go ahead and talk about this so you can see it as well, Joe. We're going to take a look at the rankings and, and where they sit right now. This is UFC's new layout that they have. And boy, is it miserable. Is it hard to deal with? We've got Tim Elliott, who fell down a spot. Alex Perez moved up one. Wilson Hayes moved up one. Dustin Ortiz fell one. I don't even know if this has been updated since the last uh, Monday, December 3rd. So, yeah, these have been updated. Perez, off of a loss, a dominant loss to Joseph Benavidez, moves up to spot. We have Saeed Nurmagomedov at number 14. This is something to behold, this flyweight division and the rankings that are still going on. And Joseph Benavidez saying, oh, we're, we're still around. I want the winner of Zahudo Dillashaw. I feel like we shouldn't even talk about this flyweight division rankings because what's it's not going to exist soon. We do have Ronnie Yaya debuting at number 15 in the Bantamweight rankings. Douglas Silva de Andrade, number 14 at Bantamweight, moves up one spot. But light heavyweight, we see some movement there. Shogun moves up one spot. Krylov moves up a spot. Cummins pops up at number 15. Serkinov down one. Dom Reyes moves up one. Do you think? Did you think that Shogun was going to move up more than one spot after his win this weekend? Um, that's a good question. Uh, again, there's you run into recency bias sometimes, and you also run into the fact that you know he's a, he's a longtime veteran. Um, you know, it, it's it's tough to say with some of these uh, voting members as to what's going to happen with them. But uh, a victory generally means you know you do move up, but you shouldn't replace someone that was higher than you. Uh, and, and Misha Serkinov. I don't know how that flip-flop sort of happened, but I, I could understand it from some people's point of view. I just disagree with it. Uh, I think Serkinov should be ranked above Hua. And heck, you know, a lot of the rankings, are, a lot of the numbers we're looking at here, both these two should be ranked higher than some of these guys anyways, right? So it's kind of weird. So let's look at the welterweight division. Darren Teal moves down a spot. Why is that? Because Kamaru Usman jumped three spots from five to two. That pushes Dos Anjos, who lost to Usman, down two spots. I got to say, I agree with this. Um, Kobe Covington is, by all by all means, the interim champion, so he should probably stay there at number one. But Kamaru Usman at number two, 
And then you have guys that have have lost recently in Teal, Thompson, Dosanos, etc. cetera, uh, moving on down. Maybe Ponzinibbio should be a, a little bit higher, I think, considering he hasn't been beaten in quite a while. But uh, what do you think of your boy, Kamaru Usman, moving up to number two? Hopefully I get to see him in Kazakhstan in a couple of weeks. I'm not sure if he's working the show at all, but um, obviously impressed with the performance. Uh, did what he had to do to emerge victorious. Five rounds, 25-minute yeoman's work. Uh, did a really good job. And yeah, I do agree 100% with where he's placed in the rankings right now. I'll only agree 100%, excuse me, um, if Covington gets the next title shot, right? Because Covington, if he's the interim champ, has to get the next title shot. And what sucks for Kamaru is he's going to have to wait to potentially face the winner uh, of Woodley and, and Covington, and or maybe have to fight again, which would suck for him, but we'll see. Now, the, the fortunate thing about that is that fight's happening next month, supposedly. So we wow. hear. That's what Dan Lambert claims. He yeah. claims they're targeting that fight. He told Fightful exclusively um, that they're targeting that fight for next month. Let's take a look at some of the others. Uh, really, the only other movement, and this is a big one, Joe, Justin Willis from essentially, I think, 15, maybe, maybe. Yeah. I don't even know if he was ranked, up to number nine. And the reason why this leap is even bigger, and we have a Blagoy Ivanov who went from losing to being in the top 15 is because Mark Hunt's co- contract is up. We'll talk about Mark Hunt in a bit. But Justin Willis, with, a quite frankly, an uneventful win, moves up big time. Meanwhile, Junior Dos Santos doesn't move at all with his win. What do you think about that? Well, it's it's definitely a, a tad strange on, on both occasions, only because, you know, Justin Willis, yeah, he took out Mark Hunt, um, which says a lot. But again, it was an uneventful performance. I get the W does good for you in terms of the rankings, but there's also a performance base that you need to look at when you're doing these rankings uh, in terms of quality of content when you're watching somebody fight. Um, it, it's a very strange move from 15 to 9. Um, you know, Mark Hunt, although retired or is gone, contract is up. It's, it's, it's a strange scenario. In terms of Junior Dos Santos, he took out what many p- people believe was one of the future uh, studs and stars in this division. And he did so in, you know, after getting rocked and putting on a fantastic performance. So uh, I'm hoping that Alistair Overeem rematch takes place. We'll see what happens. But it, it's tough to say because, you know, Blades losing the way he lost to Nganu, um the the heavyweight rankings kind of make sense at the top, but there could be a little bit more motion or movement uh, with some of those rankings. Now, heads up, guys. We will be covering these rankings weekly here on the Fightful MMA podcast now, uh, giving you a little bit of a, a look at that, and we'll isolate that into individual videos. I know you guys like that a lot, but lots happened this weekend, Joe. Like I said, there's four fights, and really the only thing we've talked about is KSW. Uh, the, the Bellator Italy show... You, not a lot of name value there, but there were some some schlapperinos on that card. There were some KOs on that card. It was it was nasty. But then you look at uh, Bellator 210, and you know, friend of the show Gerald Harris got a majority draw on the post limbs. But there were some there were some good fights on this show. Uh, there there were some at least some names that that mean something. We'll start with Joe Warren briefly. Got beat with the quickness on the prelims, and we questioned, well, why isn't he on the main card? Well, we found out he got beat really quickly. Meanwhile, Joe Schilling, who I still don't know why wasn't on the main card, <laughs> manhandled Will Morris. You had Goiti Yamuchi defeating Daniel Weichel. That is a big win for Yamuchi, and I think we all kind of predicted him yeah. to win that as well. Chris Honeycutt gets beat by split decision, but quite frankly, I think he won that fight. Uh, Dave Rickles, Looked good against Guimari uh, Vascalonis. We had Christina Williams winning. Juan Archuleta continues to win, although none of those fights were outstanding. John Salter gets a win over a guy that Bellator loves in Chidi Njikawani. What stood out to mo- the most uh, to you on this Bellator 210 show? I just, you know, part of some a, a weird solidification that, you know, Joe Warren's, uh, you know, time has come in the sport uh, to get TKO'd like that because you would never have been able to TKO Joe Warren uh, any way, which way you think you can when he was in his prime. So, um, you know, sad to see that happen to him. Joe Schilling is always a, uh, a fun guy to, you know, any interview you can get with him or anything you can read up on him. Uh, I even saw some pictures on Ryan Loco's, uh, Instagram. Um, Joe Schilling with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. Doesn't care. Doesn't care what anyone's opinion. This is what he does. Uh, the, the, the Yamauchi fight, that, that's pretty crazy, man. That was a split decision. Good fight. 
that's a big win for him. But you know, in terms of, of what stood out to me, as weird as it sounds, John Salter emerging victorious in, in round one. Um, you know, one mistake and he'll choke you out, right? So kind of weird. Also, uh, that night we had the Tough 28 finale. So I, I want to hit you with a stat, Joe. Sure. This, by by all means, the 38th season of Ultimate Fighter, including international. The heavyweight winner, Juan Espino, 38 years old. The oldest. Yeah. The winner of the Tough Season 1, Diego Sanchez, 36 years old. Isn't that amazing? It's crazy. Yeah. And it wasn't even close. He mollywopped Justin Frazier on his way to a straight uh, arm bar, which we never see anymore. We never take, see yeah. straight arm bars. And the takedown, I was like, geez, you just picked up a 265. Well, I guess he was more afterwards, but yeah. whew, strong. Fantastic. So I, I don't know what that means. I, I'll say this. Tough has not had an issue finding good fighters, as it turns out. Like the ultimate fighter has still bred some some really good fighters. It's not not a matter of quality, it's a matter of caring. Because so many people like us don't care until they get into the UFC. Now the thing is, you have two winners in uh Macy Kiasan, who defeated Panny Kian Zod, and Juan Espino, who are in two divisions where they stand a better chance of standing out. And it's obvious UFC always loves Ultimate Fighter, uh Ultimate Fighter winners because I mean it makes them look good. Yep. But I mean, they are in divisions that are just ready made for them to step in and make an impact, Joe. Yeah, I don't know if Macy's going to stay at 145, mm-hmm. though. I think she's going to go down to 135. She should. Yeah. Uh, you know, you could potentially get a shot at Cyborg, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she, she's always looking for contenders, or we'll see what happens when she takes on uh, the Linus, but it all depends. But um, for Juan Espino Diepa, it's, it's, it is a division that could always use new blood and are always looking for new sort of um, mm-hmm. uh, contenders there, but. Yeah, it's uh, he's not that young, man. It's, it's time is now. You better hurry up. Get as many fights as you can. I mean, uh, just to take a look at some recent winners of the Ultimate Fighter, I mean, the, the success rate is, I mean, you, you can't argue it. Nico Montano, who won a title as a part of that show. Jesse Taylor, who who knows what would have happened to him if, if things wouldn't have happened. But then you have Tim Elliott, title shot off of that season. But even before it was for a title, Tatiana Suarez, she's there. Kamara Usman, he's there. Carlos Barza won the title on her season. Corey Anderson's going to be a top five, top ten light heavyweight for a while. Juliana Pena, Kelvin Gastelum, Mike Chiesa, John Dodson, Tony Ferguson. These are all people that the ultimate fighter found. So the formula works for finding successful stars. It's just a matter of does it work in finding people who care or or making people care? And the answer is no. Uh, Kamaru Usman, he a boy again. We won't we won't accuse this of being a fight of the year candidate. And quite frankly, I worry about the quality of interest in a fight between him and Colby Covington or Tyron Woodley. Does that mean I don't want to see the fight? No, I want to see that fight because that is high top level. What surprised me, Joe, and pleasantly surprised me was just Dana White doting over Kamaru Usman after this performance. This fight is not the kind of fight that Dana White's usually like, Fuck yeah, man! Let's get him in there. Meanwhile, pardon my language, by the way, after the fight, all he could talk about is how much he loved Kamara Usman, how wrong he was about Kamara Usman, about how he wanted to put Kamara Usman in a title fight with Woodley immediately. What kind of bizarro world did we step into, Joe? It. I've said it before. I'll say it again. And it's not considered an insult uh to the ufc president but he's a promoter uh and the job of a promoter is to spin doctor he's going to spin things for his benefit and for the organization's benefit and to raise awareness because you know i would say 90 percent of the media maybe 95 percent of the media that are in front of him are in awe when they interview him very few are just sitting there doing their job and realizing he's just a regular guy uh, and we we know what he's doing. We get what he's doing. So um, he's going to spin doctor things in a manner where it's going to benefit the title picture in that division. Um, I don't. I still don't get what the, what's going on with the whole Colby Covington thing. Um, but you know, maybe he's just promoting the fact that Kamaro is ready. Kamaro is the next guy or a guy that everyone should be considering as soon as this Colby and 
uh, Tyron thing is all done with. And remember, he, he does have an affinity for guys that were on the Ultimate Fighter, uh, especially guys that won the show, guys that have coached on the show because Kamaro's done both. Um, and, and versus, which is also weird because Fox has Tyron Woodley as a, a an analyst, mm-hmm. and you know you don't really get there without you know Dana White's sort of stamp of approval. So but we all know the the issues that Tyron has had with Dana and, and the UFC in general. So uh, maybe does Dana want a new champion in there, somebody else that could sort of you know represent them differently? That could be an issue right there. And Kamaro's all. I mean, what you may see with Kamaro Usman. On the mic sometimes, like I, I wasn't impressed. I'm going to tell him to his face when I see him in Kazakhstan, <laughs> but I wasn't impressed with his post-fight interview. I was expecting him to continue the uh, almost the heel sort of presence that he has and, you know, just being crazy and saying stupid things. But he was cordial, you know, and I'm that guy that always wants people to be polite and nice, but sometimes get your word out there. But he was super nice in his post-fight interview, very classy, you know, giving, giving love to Rashad Evans, um, you know, is that the new angle that he's going to take? We'll see. Because I can tell you this about Kamaru Usman, uh, outside of the cameras, what you don't see and what you don't hear. Man, this guy's the nicest guy here. Like, he's just so kind. He's so he's a good dad. Loves his daughter. Just a polite guy. Funny. Uh, you know, him and I, Sean, we can get in a lot of trouble uh, whenever we're on these road trips or just in general because he is just a funny dude and he likes to have a good time. But he's a world-class fighter. One of the best in the world at 170 pounds. He's a world-class fighter that walked away with 200 grand on Friday because he also got a performance of the night bonus. You want to question like what Dana White thought of that? Fights like that do not get performance of the night bonuses, yeah. and he did. So Kamara Usman, who Dana White straight up said, I didn't give this guy a lot of credit because he talked and I didn't think he backed it up. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I don't know what you're talking about. He won the Ultimate Fighter. Who's beating Leon Edwards these days, Joe? Because last time I checked, the only person to beat Leon Edwards in his last, oh, I don't know, nine fights is Kamara Usman. Yeah. I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, okay, remember when Warley Alves was the second coming of Brazilian Christ? <laughs> and they, they were they had to get him a rebound fight? Well, Kamara Usman put an end to that. That was a quick fight. Do you know what the worst part of Kamara winning 200K is? What? It's still my turn to buy dinner. Oh, man. So, I mean, if anyone can on, on the live chat or wants to hit me up on social media, how am I going to negotiate this that he should be paying <laughs> since he got 200K? It ain't going to happen. It's going to be well, me. How about when Emile Weber Meek Vlahala came in? He, he knocked out Paul Harris. They signed him. He won his first fight. They, they, they lined him up again finally after his, his time off. Usman put him to sleep, put him to bed. Like, just nothing. <laughs> Think about it, Kamaro, and, and it's, you know, I think we've talked about Elias Theodoro sometimes like this as well, but with Kamaro Usman, he's a very, it's almost, he's like he's a cerebral fighter, and he sticks to his game yeah. plan, which is always a fantastic game plan. It may not be pleasing to the eye, but for his purposes right now, he is moving up the rankings, getting closer to that title shot, and I don't see him changing uh, should he ever become the champion, because the bottom line is, once you're the champion, People don't realize this, and this is something George St. Pierre told me all the time. You don't – I mean, George would try and go in there and finish fights. People can say whatever they want. Go watch his fights properly. He tried to finish fights, but he wasn't going to take risks to lose being the champion because life changes when you're the champion, especially financially. So uh, don't think Kamar Usman is going to change. He will try and always go for the finish. He was throwing some bombs uh, against Rafael Dos Anjos, but if it doesn't come, he will back off a little bit and ensure he doesn't, you know, you know, blow out his V2 ma- or blow out his energy uh, to the point where he's not able to compete if there's, you know, three and a half minutes left. So pay attention to when Kamaru competes, guys. Beat Sergio Marias, only person to do that in his last 10 fights. Kamaru Usman's, he's the real deal. And I don't know why it took Dana White so long to see that. Let's talk about this Joseph Benavidez-Alex Perez fight. Benavidez beat him twice, and he was a good sport about it. But Eve Levine stepped in, and it was very similar, but more brutal than the Uriah Faber, Hennon Burrell situation, where I do believe that Uriah Faber, maybe that was stopped a little bit early, a little premature. These punches were more accurate. They were there. Benavidez wasn't trying to, to like sell it to the ref like Burrell was back then. Eve Levine steps in and physically touches these two guys then lets the fight continue to the point to where Benavidez walked off. 
What was your reaction to this and how do you feel about it? Stunned. I was just stunned. Um, and, and, you know, it's tough to talk about, you know, someone that I know very well, uh, you know, I consider a friend, but it, it was an error in judgment, um, brain cramp, um, you know, a complete and utter, what, whoa, whoa, what just happened? No, 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 no. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. And, you know, I, I don't know exactly, you know, I, I can only think that it was a brain cramp at that very moment he went in. I thought he was, he was trying to stop the fight to warn Joseph Benavidez about the punches to the top of the head or the back of the head. I thought that's what he was doing, but Joseph was bringing down some punches that by the time Eves reacted to do that, he had already been landing punches to Perez's, you know, face where the, the legal zone of the face to strike. So when Eve went in there, I thought, okay, you know what? It's, it's either one of two things. He's stopping the fight or he's giving the warning. Well, he did go in there and nothing came of it. And Joseph basically removed himself from a dominant fight finishing position. And then was lucky enough to, because that fight could have went either way. Like one right, one good punch by Perez and Benavides could have been in big trouble. And then that would have been an even worse controversy for Eves Levine. But the right person won that evening. So uh, thankfully for Eves, you know, people will hopefully eventually forget about the mental error. But, you know, I do want to take stock with, with Jimmy Smith's comments about it, uh, you know, live on the air. It, it's like, dude, you can't be, in my opinion, you can voice your, your displeasure about something. You can voice um, anything you like. But don't take shots at somebody because you are a broadcaster and anything you say can be ripped apart by millions of people as well. I've done shows myself where I'm like, what did I just say? What an idiot I am, right? And I know I'm going to get blasted. Thankfully, I'm not on that level where that many people are watching that I get blasted. But you can't sit there and do that because you're not perfect, my friend. You know, like Jimmy Smith is just ridiculous. He's awesome. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. I was not that big of a fan when he was in Bellator, uh, but he got so much better. And now he's with the UFC. The guy is on point. He's really, really good. But is he perfect? No. So in that type of situation, you know, don't throw rocks at, at, at glass houses, man. You got to be careful. We had UFC Adelaide, a decision-filled prelim card, but the main card had some good stuff on it. You had Anthony Rocco Martin defeating Jake Matthews by Anaconda Choke, and he needed to. He was down two rounds to none. The thing that stood out the most to me was Sodiq Youssef. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Yep, Sodiq. And his TKO win over Suman Mokhtarian. I thought it was a good call, personally. Uh, when you land 15 to 20 unanswered shots and the person's doing this, I think, I think it's a fair stoppage, but I want to know what you think before we get into the post-fight. Right, listen, man, Sadiq Yusuf is a bad, bad dude. I called his fight against Luis Gomez, uh, the title fight, um, and Luis Gomez beat him, like shoulder through him, and Sadiq's face hit the mat, game over. And But what I saw in the four, four minutes and change from Sadiq, uh, I said, this guy has got all the skills in the world. Uh, to not only become the Titan FC champion, but get to the UFC one day. Uh, now that he's there, rest assured, this guy here has got some skills. He's got some power. And I can tell you this, Luis Gomez is probably ticked off because he ended up losing the title afterwards. Uh, but he would like to some way, somehow uh, get into the UFC by that manner because you know he's got a victory over a UFC guy now. Um, you know He lost to Jason Suarez afterward. But man, Sean, Sadiq Yusuf is a bad dude. He's got some skills, man. His post-fight speech was downright emotional, and uh, he did get a bonus, and I'm glad he did. He revealed that one week ago his older brother passed away, Mm -hmm. and he said that he didn't tell anybody. His coaches saw him crying on the treadmill. Man, this is heartbreaking. Like We've heard this before. I mentioned Gerald Harris's name earlier. Gerald Harris went through a similar situation uh, in his early days of his career where his Brother died in a motorcycle accident, and he fought a few days later. Man, to be able to do that, th- this state of mind that, that Yusuf was in and win this fight, and I mean, he had, an, he had a killer instinct-like ultra combo on Mokhtarian up against the cage. It was fantastic. Going overseas to, to Australia and handling business. And tell me tell me what you thought of this and, and just what, may, what he – was going it's unbelievable i cannot imagine 
what he went through. Uh, I, I do have a similar story with Mark Hominick. Uh, Mark Hominick and I were doing um, uh, an appearance as part of a golf event, and, and we were paired up in separate foursomes in terms of um, you know shooting the eighteen holes. Um, and in the morning, we were warming up before the before the uh, you know our first hole, and he steps away to take a phone call. Um, and he comes back and I'm in one of those moods, like, you know, Mark and I will joke around and, you know, whether it's Stout or Hordesky, they the goal is to rip apart Showdown Joe. That's just how it is. Uh, and then Mark comes back and we're, you know, he's just, you know, I kind of didn't really notice anything change with him, but he came back, continued to warm up. We played the rest of the hole. We had the sports night camera crew, Sean, uh, you know, Mark said this about you. What do you have to say? That I'm taking shots at him. I, took, I think it was a Hatsuhi Yoki joke I threw his way. And then he, they went back to him. And he took, we were going taking shots back and forth. And then the day was over. We go back into the clubhouse getting ready for the dinner. Um, and, you know, I just kind of saw him in a bit of a daze. And then he just looked over at me. And it wasn't even like a polite thing. He just looked at me. He goes, I got to talk to you. Like, oh, Jesus. Okay. And we step outside. He goes, I don't know how else to tell you this. He goes, but Sean Tompkins died. I was like, what? And he said, when? He goes, you know, last night. And I, that was the call I got this morning. I'm like, dude, why did you stay? Why didn't you go home? He's like, no. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I've got to honor my commitment. That's what I'm here for. Blah, blah, blah. I said, get out. Get out. I will deal with everything. I got someone to get him to make sure we got him a drive home. I said, get out. Leave. We will deal with this tomorrow. Don't talk to any of the media. Don't talk to anybody. I will take care of this for you. And I couldn't believe, Sean. He went through that. So when I take a look at, at Sadiq and, and how he was able to, to stay just mentally focused and strong and be able to pull off a performance like that just shows you the, 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 the resolve and the character that these guys have as fighters and what they go through and what we never know until we find out afterwards. So a lot of props to both those guys for sure. Also on this Adelaide show, we had Shogun Hua. He's never done until he's done. Yeah. Going zombie mode, <laughs> coming back against Tyson Pedro, and and that's what Shogun Hua does, man. He, he's done it for a long time. You, you never know that he's he's out until that final bell rings or until that referee separates them. He has now won three or four of his last five. If he had just, I think, quite frankly, had he just not fought Anthony Smith, yeah, not even just not lost, just not fought him. He might be in line for a title shot, and he is in that discussion, in my estimation. He is a guy that if I were the UFC, I'd be like, hey, listen, if you want to make weight at the end of December, if because I don't know if Anthony Smith is or not. I don't know if he's on standby. If you can get cleared, somebody pulls out of this fight, maybe slide you in there. Shogun is... Just that type of guy that you can put into an emergency situation like this, but he was in an emergency situation of his own, came back and flattened Tyson Pedro, uh, relied on his grappling and got this victory. Good stuff, Joe. Um, So, you know, when you watch a guy like Shogun fight, you're always paying attention to, okay, this thing could end very, very quickly and not necessarily in favor of Shogun because, you know, he takes some punches and, you know, we saw in the Anthony Smith fight, it could be lights out real quick. And he took some punches from Tyson Pedro, and it was almost lights out. I thought, yeah, well, this is it. First round stoppage, Tyson Pedro. Uh, hopefully, Maurizio, you know, hangs up his gloves if this thing comes to an end. And holy smokes, it continued to move on and go and go and go. And next thing you know, it was Tyson that ends up having the, I think it was the ankle injury or the knee injury. And Maurizio's like, I don't care. I got to win this fight, man. My face is messed up. Sure. And he went in there and did his thing, man. Like, nothing will ever compare to his first fight with, with Dan Henderson. Although that second one was great, too. But that first fight with Dan Henderson just shows you what you know what type of a fighter shogun is and it's just vintage because you know i i look at as crazy as it sounds i look at shogun and the way he still dresses in the tight shorts it's just no different than you know us older guys walking around coming out of the shower and we got our boxer briefs on and it's like ah, i got that dad bod and shogun's no longer ripped before and 
but he's going out there and he's fighting these guys that are like almost half his age and he's pulling off these victories. It just puts a huge smile on my face. So we'll see what happens. He said in the post-fight interview, Sean, that, you know, one more fight and then I'm getting my title shot. Uh, you know what? I think it'd be great. I don't know if I'd want to see him fight any one of those guys in the top uh, three or four, but if that's the goodbye that we get with Shogun Hua, so be it. Get her done. It, it was fantastic. It made me so happy to see that. Uh <laughs> Again, Mark Hunt didn't have the best performance. And a lot of people, I saw a lot of people saying, oh, it's time for him to hang it up. It's time for him to retire. No, he's going to make six figures somewhere to do exactly what he's doing now. I know Ryzen uh, has interest in him, Joe. And I mean, why, why would he not continue fighting? I mean, the only thing is his issue with the UFC primarily was the steroid issue. And yeah. that's not going to get any better anywhere else. But... He's going to make a lot of money to just show up and fight. So more power to him. He's not getting knocked out. So, yeah, yeah. I'd be interested to see if he actually does go to uh, to Ryzen. I mean, uh, you know, my my recollection of Mark Hunt every time I had a chance to interview him back in the day was, you know, very, very. He's a very spiritual guy. I like the intro that they had uh, for for both him and Tai Tavasa. Uh, but you know, if I had a shot of booze or beer every time Mark Hunt said. I would answer my questions with my heavenly father, my heavenly father, my heavenly father, my heavenly father. I'd be hammered by the end of that interview. So uh, Mark Hunt, though, smart guy. And he's one of those guys, I've, you know, you're, you've heard me say it before, op, you know, some of these guys operate in a different frequency. Try and have a conversation with him. He operates in a different frequency. He looks and sees things uh, in different ways. And uh, if you're asking me, what, do I want to see Mirko Krokop against Mark Hunt? Yes. Also on this show, Junior Dos Santos defeated Tai Tuivasa. Tuivasa came out really, really aggressively, and that that worked for him in the first round, but it was also his undoing in the second round because if you can't sustain that type of pace against Junior Dos Santos, Junior Dos Santos will use technical boxing superiority and capitalize, and that's exactly what happened. And we saw it early on in the first round because it was not working for Tuivasa early on. He was catching air and eating a little bit of cage. Yeah, and it was just like it, that. You can tell that that masterful boxing, at least as far as MMA goes, of Dos Santos being able to take a guy off his feet with slips. That's not easy. I think we maybe seen like Anderson Silva do that, and nobody else. Um, but Dos Santos comes back, hits a great hook that drops to Ivasa, and I, I like that. It, even in a loss, to Ivasa called out Justin Willis. I thought that was smart of him. <laughs> Justin Willis had called him out earlier in the night. That fight actually makes a lot of sense. I want to see it. I want to see that. But Dos Santos, how about this one, Joe? Back-to-back wins for the first time since he won the UFC title. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. wild to think? Yeah. Did Jimmy say it on the broadcast? I'm not sure if he said it, but you know, there's, there, there comes a time when you know if you're facing a brawler, box the brawler. Yeah. Use technique against a brawler. I don't know if Jimmy said it or not. Um, if he did props to him, if not, I'm sure he's probably thinking of it because there were times when I was watching that first round and the aggressiveness that Tai Tuvasa had, uh, you can't sit there and engage with that kid. That kid's got too much power. Start using your footwork. And he did, he was slipping or junior was slipping. And and then you saw that jab started to come out. Uh, and that's an ugly jab, ladies and gentlemen, because I've been in the front, I've, I've been on the end of that jab, not being struck in the face, but doing some stuff with, with Junior back in the day. And we did some some measurements and comparisons about, you know, my massive five foot seven frame compared to his. <laughs> and I'm telling you, man, when he flicks out that jab, Sean, you see the cinder block coming to your skull and back. That dude can flip it out. He's way better now than he was before back then. Um, but my goodness, he, he did what he had to do, which was a smart game plan. Uh, you know, scheduled for five rounds. He got it done in, in one and a half rounds. So good for him. It's first time winning two fights in a single year since 2011. His first time fighting twice in a year since 2013. Here's to hoping we see a more active junior Dos Santos because, hey, he's not that far from a title fight in the division. And here's the thing. He's lost to, to Miocic. He's lost to Kane a couple times. But who knows if Kane Velasquez will ever fight again? We, we don't know. And, I mean, people thought that that was like a running joke on this podcast, Joe. Like, we covered the last Junior Dos Santos fight the first week that you and I knew who each other were. Yeah. Or that, that's the last time we covered a Kane Velasquez fight. 
And I was telling people all along, and it was the same thing I heard all along. I don't know if he's going to fight again. I don't know when or if he's going to fight again. But that's also a fight I wouldn't mind seeing run back again for a fourth time, considering we haven't seen Kane fight in years. That was the running joke when they would fight. We're going to see these three, these two guys fight four to five times. I thought I thought it was going to happen too. In 2013, even even though Dos Santos lost a second time in a row, I thought for sure we were going to see them fight five times because the division was so thin back then. It's not so thin now. There we go. Uh, another interesting piece of news that I picked up on this week: Eric Perez Goito, <laughs> who we once knew as a 22, 23 year old. Mexican prospect in the UFC since moved on to Combate America says that he threatened to retire if he didn't get a title shot and Combate Americas wasn't going to do it initially. And eventually they gave in. First off, I'm wondering why the hell Combate Americas didn't just give in. He is the biggest name fighter they have on the roster by a country mile. And I don't blame Goyito for doing this. If that, those are the terms that he came over to the company on Joe. Yeah, uh, Combate America is an interesting organization. Just, you know, I mean, we talked about Bellator last week. Uh, Combate is interesting. Let's just say that. Very, very, you know, they they do strange things sometimes, but ain't my company. When, When I look at that, I'm like, why do you pass it up? You could use any, any publicity that you can get. And for Eric Perez, he's a former successful UFC fighter who we thought they were going to build the Mexican market around. They didn't. He left the fight on a three-fight win, or left the company on a three-fight winning streak. Showed up in Combate in April after like a year and a half off. Won his first fight. Man, I, I don't get why they. <laughs> I just don't get why they they hesitated. That that's such a weird thing. So so odd, but. Hey, there's a reason why Combate Americas is Combate Americas, and they're not not above what, what they should be. Speaking of not being above what it should be, rumors of the Liddell Ortiz buys being uh, between twenty five thousand to thirty thousand. Tito Ortiz says that if they said if they didn't sell at least two hundred, they had no business being in the business. Well, <laughs> they were far below that, Joe. Yeah, yeah. It just, I mean. I wish we could get some demographics as to who bought it and the type of fan that did buy it. But yeah, that is, woo, that is low. If the figure that Chuck Liddell put out there is true, that he gets $10 per buy, that's still an extra $250,000 for him. But it's a payday. not the type of payday that I think he was expecting or that Tito was expecting to come out of retirement. Because quite honestly, if you're looking for $500,000, Bellator is probably going to do that for you. Yeah, Ryzen probably could have done that for you. One championship probably could have done that for you. And uh, I don't know, man. I guess it's better to get knocked out on American soil than than on Asian soil and have to fly back, though. But those the, the, those pay-per-view buys surprise you at all? Yeah, a little bit. I You know, I was kind of saying they might be kissing just about a hundred thousand a little under a hundred thousand not that low i mean that that's that's very very low uh leads me to believe that you know can can you and i put something together to do twenty five thousand buys we make some pretty good money yeah i've got some connections now if we're talking mma no <laughs> no roughly if, if we did like a little 5.99 i pay-per-view I don't know. It'd be tough. It'd be tough. That's awesome. We we have some connections, but I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know if we could, but forty ninety nine or whatever price they were saying. Hell it no. Wasn't it sixty or fifty nine ninety nine or something? Because when they knocked it down to fifteen or nineteen ninety nine for Black Friday, Golden okay. Boy said, "No, you don't fight." So there you go. But we have a big show coming up. This Saturday night, I'm very excited to cover this one. UFC 231. Man, this is a good show. Presuming that the fights happen the way that they're supposed to. Let's go ahead and get into it. You got Max Holloway, Brian Ortega. This fight, it was supposed to happen several times. You have uh, Max Holloway as a minus 125 over Brian Ortega. High level fight. Max Holloway, who... 
never pulled out of a fight in his career before this year. Pulled out of three different fights oh, within two. No, he pulled out of the Edgar fight in March. He pulled out of the uh, Nurmagomedov Madoff fight in April. He pulled out of the Ortega fight yeah, in yeah. July. I forgot, so about the Ed- I forgot about the Edgar one. Within okay. four months or three months, yeah, three or four months, he pulled out of several fights. I want to know what you think of this fight, how you think it'll go down. Obviously, we see that Ortega has power. He's not just a jiu-jitsu guy, but he has that dangerous jiu-jitsu. This is such an intriguing fight to me, Joe. Yeah, it's, uh, and I think the odds are exactly where they need to be. Uh, you can almost make I mean, it, it is close to a pick em fight, but you know, I, either one thing is going to happen here, or sorry, a bunch of things can happen here. Excuse me. You know, Max Holloway can prove all the doubters wrong and, and solidify himself as the best at 145 pounds, no ifs, ands, or buts, uh, or this train that is Ortega uh, supersedes Max Holloway, who just seems to have always had Jose Aldo's number, pretty much everyone's number other than Conor McGregor's number. So it is a fantastic matchup. It's the type of fight that I wish had way more hype behind it because it's a legit bout that has two world-class fighters competing um, for the goal of one of them to walk away with gold, right? Let's just hope he gets there, Max Holloway. Uh, knock on wood, same thing with uh, you know Brian Ortega. But by all accounts, everything seems to be going fine. But this is a fight that every fight fan should appreciate and say, man, you know what? This is it. The best of the best are fighting each other. This is what it's all about. None of this crap that we see all the time at UFC events and just events in general where fights have no meaning, no relevance, mismatches. No, this is legit. The best two at 145 pounds squaring off to determine who the best in the world is. I love it. What do you make of of the battles that Holloway has faced over the last year? Because it has been a year, a year ago yesterday, since he beat Jose Aldo for a second time. And he doesn't take time like that off. Yeah, He just doesn't. He never really has. He's never spent that much time out of the cage. What do you think that means for him? Because Ortega, undefeated, has never tasted a loss. Hasn't spent that much time. He fought in March. He beat Edgar, and he was supposed to fight in July. But he's been ready to go all year, essentially. Yeah, so it is, you know, for for... Holloway, the, the layoff, it would be interesting to see what will happen as the fight goes on because we both know he's going to show up there in, in prime condition. We both know that his reaction time and his speed is going to be fantastic. And the same for Ortega, uh, but he hasn't taken that much time off either. Nine months is, is eight or nine months is, um, you know, that, that's pushing the, the ring rust. In a year, you, you, would think that, you would think there's going to be a ring rust for Max Holloway, right? But we're talking about world-class fighters here. We'll see what the game plan is. Uh, I don't even think Ortega would have a game plan. I don't even think Max Holloway has a game plan. These are two guys that just let things flow uh, and take advantage of any errors or opportunities that present themselves. So um, I, I normally I do say that ring rust is real, uh, but with these two guys, I doubt it, John. I really, really do. They're just so talented. They're so good. When we look at this, we also a couple of young guys, essentially. Uh, Ortega, 27. I think Holloway is what 27 as well, so... This seems to be the prime age for a lot of these fighters, this 27 to 30-year age range. Um, who do you think ends up taking this one? Are you kidding me asking me <laughs> that a, question? It's a tough one. It is a tough one. I'm just looking to see if I have a coin. Oh, I do, I do, I do, I do. All right. Who do you think has more ways to finish the other person? Ortega wins his fight by submission. There you go. I'm going to have to go with Holloway. I think that he can keep Ortega on the end of his punches, but I don't think it's going to be easy for him. I think he's going to face some adversity in this fight. By the way, I am the fightful overall prediction leaderboard champion right now. I'm real close to eking it out for the year. How about this? I'm leading the wrestling, I'm leading MMA, and I'm leading the overall leaderboard. So, I mean, there, there's a reason. There's a reason for all this. Let's talk about Joanna and Jacek and Valentina Shevchenko. Shevchenko moving down in weight. Joanna moving up in weight. This is the fight that should have decided the title to begin with, Joe. It took us an extra year to get there. But Shevchenko, a pretty sizable favorite. I think she was at like minus 205 last I checked. She was up there. Joanna, a, a well-rounded game. Minus, and 
three forty five for Valentina right now. Really? Oh yeah, I just I just looked uh, minus three hundred uh, on one line. Boy, you better believe I got five on Joanna Yinjacek. And you want to just give me that five? Oh, not to you. <laughs> but I Valentina, got five on Joanna Yinjacek. I got. I, I'm not putting any money on Valentina, but I think she does emerge victorious. And it's not to say that. Uh, I mean, I, I would imagine Johanna's going to bring far more speed to this fight. She's got great precision, but Valentina's got the power, I think. Uh, and I think that's going to be a bit of a difference, and we'll see what happens. I don't think Joanna will be able to take this fight anywhere than keeping the stand-up thing. Crazy things have happened in MMA. I just think Valentina will dictate where this fight's going to take place, uh, and I think she should be able to break down Joanna. Um, and which would suck because Joanna, if she can't win the title at 115 and can't win the title at 125, oh boy. Right? What is this? Not three or four, five, ten straight title fights for her, right? So, yeah, it'd be a lot. And the way that I, the interesting thing is, Joanna actually an inch taller than Valentina, despite the fact that she has competed two weight classes below. In Muay Thai, Shevchenko went, I believe, three and zero against Joanna Injacek. Joanna Injacek, an excellent, well-rounded fighter, but Shevchenko has come around quite a bit as well. I love how top-heavy she stayed on Priscilla Cachuera, uh while she murdered that poor woman. And, man, Shevchenko was supposed to fight, like, two other times during this year. We were supposed to see her fight twice Yeah, uh, this year. We were supposed to see her fight another time last year. So I think she just wants to get to the damn fight at this point because it happened so much to her. And she has some super high-level wins. Holly Holm, that, that, was, that was a showcase for Valentina Shevchenko. And I mean, that show did excellent numbers for us and for Fox. So, I mean, if she were to defeat Joanna, where do we put her? This is a conversation I didn't think I would have among greats in female MMA history. If she got to a title fight at 135, she became the champion by beating Joanna because we don't know what beating Joanna at 125 means right now. We don't know, but she's beaten Holly Holm. She's beaten Payne. She's beaten Kaufman. She's made it to title fights where maybe she she beat Nunez, according to some oh, the, people. The second one, I think she won. I do too. MMA and women's MMA is so young; it's so hard to like decipher that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of where do we put Valentina after this? Uh, should if she, she defeat? Wins. Yeah, should she defeat? Uh, yeah, Jacek, you you got to put her a in the conversation because then she'll now she'll have gold wrapped around her waist but that one asterisk or caveat will always be uh cyborg you know it's, yeah. it's if, if you don't beat cyborg um you know it's it'd be interesting because if she does become victorious sean and then amanda nunez defeats cyborg and we both believe valentina defeated nunez prior that opens up another conversation right so I think she just needs to do what she needs to do, merge victorious against Ioana, get that belt wrapped around her waist, and then we can have a real conversation uh, next Tuesday, uh, or you guys can have it in the post-fight uh, afterwards. But, yeah, you you, you got to start thinking Valentina may go down as one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time. Uh, but Cyborg, I think a fight with Cyborg uh, is imperative for Valentina. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. If Cyborg gets beaten by Nunez... I think that opens up the conversation because you have Nunez in the running. You have yep. Joanna still in the running. If Joanna wins this fight, yeah, we got another issue altogether. You Fantastic. got another issue yep. altogether because Rose is the only person she's not been able to get by, get by, and that just happens in this sport. Nobody's yep. going to retire undefeated almost. So you also have Cowboy Oliveira and Gunnar Nelson. This is a solid fight to throw on this show. Uh, who you got here? Uh, so Gunnar's a great striker. Right, he doesn't have the power that Alex has, but Cowboy makes one mistake and that fight gets on the ground. Ooh, buddy, Gunner yeah, that's will make it. You tap out, man. And I mean, we have seen Gunner like stutter against Rick Story, be a split decision, but he is the favorite right now. I'm going to go with him. Actually, I think I'm going to go Cowboy. I think Cowboy manages to get it done. This is a pretty close fight. We also have Tiago Santos moving up to 205, which I think is where he should stay. He is actually a minus 210 favorite over Jimmy Manawa. Jimmy Manawa, who has lost two fights in a row. He had uh, a torn hamstring earlier this year when he was supposed to fight uh, supposed to fight Santos. He was supposed to fight Teixeira, and Teixeira pulled out. So this fight finally happening. But 
Manoa, who is 39, 38, going to be 39 soon, hasn't won a fight since 2017, uh, early 2017, rather. He's lost three of his last five fights. I think Tiago Santos can get it done here. That win over Eric Anders was a good one. Uh, he's, he's looked really good lately. I'm counting that win over Anthony Smith that we saw earlier this year as <laughs> even more and more, especially considering they're both in the same weight division now. I got Tiago Santos here. I think it's going to be a war, but I think that Santos is going to get it done. Yeah, I think that's a correct assessment. I mean, it's not that the mighty have fallen in Jimmy Manoa, but uh, yeah, I mean, opening up these odds the way they did and, and the way the public has reacted, um, you know, there's a lot of love behind Tiago Santos. So I think he does pull this off. But like you said, it's I don't think it's going to be easy. I don't think you can really finish off Jimmy Manoa that quick. It's very, very rare that that happens. So uh, expect this, this boat that kicks off the main card to be a, a, a leather bomb fest, to say the least. Plus 175 for Manoa. I got five on it, though. <laughs> Nina Ansaroff, man, she has emerged after losing her first two UFC fights. She has won three in a row, including over Angela Hill and Randa Marco. She is getting thrown into the fire against Claudia Gadelia, who has won three of her last four. Gadelia, a minus 300 favorite. I'm going her. I think she takes Ansaroff down, muscles her to the ground. But, man, you don't want to get in the pocket with Claudia Gadelia either because she can wreck faces. Uh, but I think that she's going to take Ansaroff down and control her on the ground. I do not have five on it. Usually I do in women's fights like this where the distance is so so wide. Uh, not so much uh, for this fight. It's, it's you know, Gadea is at minus 320, and I think rightfully so. But uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure they've crossed paths before in gyms. Right, Jim? Yes. Right? So – if you're signing on the dotted line to face someone that you you've got you think you've got a chance against, then there's something that Nina knows that we don't, and I think it'd be a great little scrap here to determine exactly, you know, where Claudia stands in this division and where Nina stands amongst amongst these top competitors, right? So uh, while Claudia is definitely favored, I think she does pull it off. I'd be interested to see the type of game plan Nina will bring to the cage to determine. Okay, you know what? This is the only way I'm going to beat her. If it's going to be 15 minutes, so be it. But I got to win two rounds out of one. Or two rounds out of three, excuse me. We have Jessica I, who has long screamed about her place in this flyweight division. Thus far, all good. She's 2-0 and there, but she's facing a Caitlin Chikagian, who is very good. Not an exciting fighter. She is not going to be a fight of the year candidate but, or anything like that, but if Caitlin Chikagian wins this, she is 5-1 and one in the UFC with that one loss being a split loss to Liz Carmouche, who is... Uh, to, to be honest with you, I think Liz Carmouche can hang with almost anybody. She's that type of fighter that can just hang with anybody. Jessica I is an underdog here. Shikagan, a minus 165 favorite. I think considering how scrappy I is, that's understandable. But I think that Shikagan plays the Shikagan game and points her to a victory. Yeah. I mean, the last time these two finished anyone was a very long time ago. Youth factor goes to Caitlin at 29 years old. So... Um, and she's a brown belt under Henzo, so got to give her uh, some love on that. Caitlin Chikagan did stop Robbie Fox of Barstool Sports when they filmed a segment. He tried to scale the cage and leave, and she Good actually point. kicked him in the face and finished him. But other than that, it's been <laughs> like six fights ago for her. And yeah, it's been a while. For Jessica I, I mean, besides the ear stoppage, <laughs> that was yeah. 2014. But I got Chikagan there. Eric Anders, it just really this is really confusing because it's Eric Ya Boy Anders against Ya Boy yeah. Elias Theodoru. Meanwhile, Ya Boy is given the predictions here. I don't know what to do. I mean, I assume that if Elias wins this, he has a fightful alumni. He's fighting for my nickname here. <laughs> I got shirts, man. I got shirts. Uh so Eric Anders is a minus 125 favorite against Elias. But man, Elias has a way of taking everybody out of their game. This is a super intriguing fight to me. If Anders can be aggressive, I think he beats Elias. But if he falls into Elias manipulating the game plan, I think Elias is getting the win here. Because Elias can make it make it ugly. When people get inside on him, he like throws back fists that don't make any <laughs> sense. But then he wins fights. Yeah. I, 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 I'm not going to pick against Elias. We all know that. So uh, I, I'm going to go with Elias to pull off, uh, you know, to win at least two rounds to one. I think 
round one uh, will be the the feel out round. I don't I don't can't see him giving up too much in that round there unless you said like you said Eric gets aggressive. Uh, I look for Elias to pick up the pace in round number two. And then in typical Elias fashion, we're, we find him in trouble in round number three. And then it's up to the judges to determine if he, rounds one, if, he, if he scored or won rounds one and two versus losing round three. So we'll see. There are some interesting fights on this card. Uh, Boschniak, Dwadu, uh, Gilbert Burns, Olivier Aubin Mercier. You have Rakic against Devin Clark. Uh, anybody, any of the young fighters at 205 interest me. Matt Lopez moving up to Bantamweight to fight Brad Gatona. Tough winner. Um, you have Chad Laprise and Diego Lima, and then you have Carlos Diego Ferreira against Jesse Ronson. Anything about those fights stand out to you as we wrap up? Yeah, I mean, I, I know Ronson and Laprise pretty well. Uh, I think Laprise emerges victorious, and I think uh, Ronson's going to have a very, very difficult time. I also know uh, Olivier Aubin-Mercier, but Gilbert Burns is, is not going to allow him. What do you do, Olivier? You're not going to take Gilbert Burns' back and choke him out, so you're in for a fight. Uh, that's for sure. So uh, I'm, I'm obviously keeping paying very close attention to those three Canadians. Guys, do us a solid. Subscribe to this channel. The closer we get to 1,000, the more uh, content we can upload here. You will see clips from this show. You will see James Lynch's interviews. We have gained exclusive rights to his interviews on Fightful. Uh, We do encourage you to subscribe to his channel, though. Support him. He is a budding freelance writer that we hope becomes a full-time contributor to Fightful.com. That way you can go out there and get those scoops. He will be in Toronto this week getting uh, content for other websites. So make sure you support our boy James Lynch out there. But Joe, what do you get going on this week? Same old, same old, man. Got my uh, my jacket on, ready to go. Got to pick up my son's his birthday tomorrow, but he's got soccer tonight and soccer tomorrow. We got a big game uh, on Saturday, and then, of course, a big UFC event to watch uh, Saturday night. Can't wait for it. If you guys are in Northern Kentucky, hit me up. I'll be there Friday. have a premier MMA championship banquet to go to for some of the uh, staff members there. So uh, hit me up, guys. I really enjoyed meeting a lot of you guys at Starcade a couple weeks ago. Thank you guys for showing Fightful Love. Leave us a thumbs up on this video. We are on podcast platforms everywhere. Spread the word. Our MMA section still growing. We're getting uh, news up quicker than ever. Thank you guys so much. We are out.